Hello and welcome to Jiu-Jitsu Red to Blue. I'm Tish Durkin and this isn't the most sophisticated point I'll ever make, but it is a point worth making. Having watched both last week's GOP primary debate on Fox News and also the simultaneously released chat between Donald Trump and Tucker Carlson on X, the social media platform formerly known as Twitter, each in their entirety, I just want to stress, if you are a semi-reasonable person of any semi-reasonable political stripe, including true conservative or libertarian, you cannot arrive at any conclusion other than the conclusion that, with the exceptions of Chris Christie, Asa Hutchinson, and the candidate so sub asterisk and standing that he was not even able to make it into the debate, Will Hurd, you cannot possibly vote for any of the Republican candidates and consider yourself a believer in American democracy. This is simply because, as evidenced yet again by the stream of semi-consciousness that gushed out of him on X, Trump continues to be an election-denying madman who, in 46 minutes, demonstrated a flawless, if rambling, ignorance of subjects including, but not limited to, water windmills, electric vehicles, dictators and dishwashers, urban crime, the Olympic Games, and the Panama Canal, the realities of Republican pioneered and perfected mail-in voting, legal methods of contesting election results, and the substance of what he himself has actually been indicted for. And as evidenced by their response to the question of whether they will support Trump if he becomes the party's nominee, responses which, apart from Christian Hutchinson, ranged from yes to hell yes, most of the Republican field continues to enable him. Of course, the great big marks against Trump are those involving fraud, intimidation, sedition, and whatnot. But watching his bizarre little tete-a-tete with Tucker, it is amazing to contemplate how this individual, who purports to be a great businessman, cannot grasp the most basic of basics when it comes to what markets are and how they develop. Here he is on electric vehicles. Who wants to not be able to use a gas stove? or have to drive an electric car, which, you know, you have a four-hour drive, but the car only goes an hour and a half, so you have to charge it. The happiest moment for somebody in an electric car is the first 10 minutes. In other words, you get it charged, and now for 10 minutes. The unhappiest part is the next hour, because you're petrified that you're not going to be fine to another charger. People, I'm saying, if people, I'm not knocking electric cars, they're fine, they're fine. But if people want to buy a gasoline car or hybrid, hybrids are pretty good, actually. But they should be allowed to buy. They don't want to do any of this. Okay, Donald, as you are somehow not aware, but the rest of us know very well, people are still free to buy whatever kind of car using whatever kind of fuel they want. The Biden administration is trying to slow down the burning of the planet by using market incentives to enable those who do need a new car to consider buying an electric one, but no one has to do so. And I'm anything but an expert on cars, electric or otherwise. I'm just a housewife who uses her gas stove every day because no one has said or done anything to indicate that I can't. But even I know that right now there are EVs, albeit super expensive ones, with a range of over 500 miles, that many models go over 200 miles, and that on any given day, the average American actually drives less than 100 miles. Meanwhile, 
Miles added per minute of charging have been steadily going up, and thus necessary length of charging times has been steadily going down. If Donald really were the genius entrepreneur he thinks he is, he would know that that's what's good about capitalism. As demand for certain consumer products goes up, the price and inconvenience of using them goes down because private companies like perhaps Tesla see that they can make a profit from selling more. It's why cell phones no longer weigh eight pounds or cost thousands of dollars. Moving on, if you are under the impression that you've been experiencing historical levels of drought, here is our former president to set you straight. Uh, you have states, many, many states, most of the states have so much water. You know, it comes out of heaven, right? The water pours down and you have it. It's there. It's going to go wherever it goes, into the oceans, whatever. It's not like a big problem. Now, in some states, they have a problem. You know, you have some desert areas and all, and for that, it's okay. But they have uh, sinks where no water comes out. You turn it on, no water comes out. No water comes out of the shower. No water is allowed to go into the washing machine for your dishes or for your clothing. or what. And I avoided all of that. Wait, they have sinks where no water comes sure, out? Sure, you have restrictors. When I say no water, very little water. You want to wash your hands, right? Yeah. And you t- you've seen this. And you turn on the sink and it's very little. Or you want to wash your beautiful hair, right? And you're standing under a shower. Then the suds never go. The water comes out very slowly. I'm sure you've seen this. So there's so much water in most places, but okay, not enough in some places like the desert. But if the people running even those places try to do something to conserve water, they're wrong because people need bucketfuls to wash their beautiful hair. And for those of you who think Donald has done anything different election interference wise than plenty of Democrats have done plenty of times, hear this. Hillary called me up and conceded. Now, the word is that Obama said you have to do that. But she called up and totally conceded. But now, you know, every time you see her on television, she's saying, like, well, she's challenging the election. Do, do you think- so that would mean that she should be indicted. But that would mean also that Stacey Abrams in Georgia should be indicted because she still thinks she won the election for governor. She still thinks that she's never recanted. Of course, he leaves out the part where neither Hillary Clinton nor Stacey Abrams summoned mobs of their supporters to march on state or national capitals, threatening a massacre of the lawmakers therein by way of keeping their election losses from being certified. And also the part where the January 6th related indictment against Trump expressly states his right to say whatever he wants with regard to the election. He's being prosecuted for what he did, which those Democrats did not. So Trump is insane. All of us outside the MAGA movement know that. But what we also need to know, what we need to keep ourselves absolutely clear on, no matter how lackluster Democrats may strike us, no matter how attractively moderate or commonsensical various Republicans may package themselves as going forward, is that when push comes to shove, the so-called GOP alternatives to Trump, with the exceptions of Christy Hutchinson and Hurd, are literally asking to be counted as every bit as insane as he is. Because as of the debate, two-thirds of Trump's supposed opponents, six of the eight on that debate stage, remain committed to supporting him for president. 
if and when he defeats them for the nomination, even if he is, by then, not only an unapologetically whacked-out racist, sexist, uber-nationalist conspiracy monger, but a convicted felon. In fairness, some of the candidates, particularly Nikki Haley, did earn a few points for clarity, logic, or lucidity, only to toss them straight into the bonfire of Trump's vanity. Here she does sound pretty smart. When you look at the situation with Russia and Ukraine, here you have a pro-American country that was invaded by a thug. So when you want to talk about what has been given to Ukraine, less than three and a half percent of our defense budget has been given to Ukraine. If you look at the percentages per GDP, 11 of the European countries have given more than the U.S. But what's really important is go back to when China and Russia held hands, shook hands before the Olympics and named themselves unlimited partners. A win for Russia is a win for China. We have to know that Ukraine is the first line of defense for us. And here she even sounds gutsy. Donald Trump added $8 trillion to our debt, and our kids are never going to forgive us for this. Which is why it is so disheartening that she is, at the very same time, happy to sacrifice everything on the altar of not breaking with the very guy who cozied up to Russia, added all that debt, and, you know, tried to overthrow our own government. When it comes to the question of whether a man who has called for the suspension of the Constitution in the name of restoring himself to power, Haley is not going to answer. Look, I mean, when it comes to whether President Trump should serve or not, I trust the American people. Let them Mm -hmm. vote. Let them decide. Oh, she doesn't have to take a stand on this. She's going to go with the American people. Actually, the Republican primary electorate people, even if they go with the insurrectionist crook. Clearly, Nikki's mom never gave her that anti-peer pressure pep talk that goes, just because everybody else jumps off a bridge doesn't mean you jump off it too. Anyway, the point is, almost all of them agreed to support Trump, even if he were convicted of stealing the voting rights of the people of Georgia and or absconding with and hindering the return of top secret security documents from the United States government and or obstructing the peaceful transition of power on January 6th. Now, Apart from Vivek Ramaswamy, who seemed to be auditioning for a show called America's Got Fascism, no one seemed overly thrilled to proclaim their restored loyalty to Dear Leader in the event that he should defeat them. But six out of eight did proclaim it. So unless you are mega MAGA, in which case you are probably not listening to me right now, you need to forget about voting for any of those six. Any of them. Wait, wait, isn't this what usually happens in elections? Isn't it a time-honored custom for fellow Republicans or Democrats to slug it out, often quite viciously, in the primaries and then come together behind whoever wins, the better to defeat the real adversary in the general election? Isn't that what Democrats, plenty of whom had no great love for Joe Biden, did in 2020? Well, yes. But it isn't a time-honored custom or a custom at all to extend the usual political courtesies to someone facing 91 counts over four criminal indictments, for the excellent reason that in the history of this country, no such person has ever been a major contender for any major office, let alone the presidency. And the reason such a contender is now facing such counts is not that Biden's Department of Justice is being unfairly sicked on Trump. For much of Biden's term, the DOJ has seemed positively allergic to the notion of antagonizing Trump. 
especially with regard to the documents by the toilet case, Attorney General Merrick Garland has clearly spent years falling asleep at night in the hope that he will wake up to find that Trump has decided to take these simple and obvious actions he could have taken to make the whole thing go away. We are here because Trump came here and MAGA followed him. But no matter what two-thirds of the Republican primary field has clearly calculated, the rest of us do not need to follow them. Now, I could spend another hour or day or month exposing the whole whine about DOJ weaponization as the absurdity it is. I could cite the cases of Americans indicted, convicted, and sent to prison for committing far, far less serious crimes than those of which Trump stands accused. I could add my voice to the legion of voices that have already pointed out that the vast majority of judges and officials and sworn witnesses fueling the legal cases against Trump are not Democrats, but Republicans, and oftentimes MAGA Republicans. But because my emphasis is always on evaluating MAGA by its own standards, I'm going to go very narrow here and simply note the jarring degree to which most of the GOP candidates contradicted themselves in the course of that debate. Everyone on the stage who was directly asked stated that in his refusal to exercise his non-existent right to return the electoral count to the states on January 6th, then-Vice President Mike Pence had done the right thing. The expression of this pro-Pence sentiment ran the gamut. Ron DeSantis treated the question hesitantly like a pile of dog poop he'd been forced to scoop, while Chris Christie held it aloft and venerated it like a sparkling monstrance of democracy. But most stated that in defying Trump, Pence had upheld the Constitution. But this disappointingly dirty half dozen also made clear they see that as no reason not to support the guy who was pressuring him mercilessly to trash the Constitution. Which, by simple logic, means that none of those six, not Ramaswamy, not Haley, not DeSantis, not Burgum, not Scott, not even Mike, I will always honor my oath to the Constitution, Pence, can be entrusted to preserve, protect, or defend the Constitution, let alone preserve, protect, and defend it, as any president must swear to do. Needless to say, the economy matters, education matters, healthcare matters, Ukraine matters, China matters, reproductive rights matter, racial justice matters, climate change matters. But if we are to have a small-d democratic system in which to thrash out all those issues and so many others, the Constitution has to matter more than any, more than all of that. No matter what happens in any given election, the Constitution has to win. And that means that whatever else you might find appealing about them, DeSantis, Ramaswamy, Haley, Scott, Bergam, and Pence, let alone, God forbid, Trump, have to lose and lose big. Thanks for listening. Tune in for more of Jujitsu Red to Blue. New episodes drop every Thursday morning. Mm-hmm.